Welcome to episode 102 of The Climate Champions. Check out past episodes on theclimatechampions.com. I'm Lee Crevat, host of The Climate Champions. If you or someone you know is a climate champion, please let me know at crevatenergyinnovations.com. This podcast is being brought to you in part by the Department of Energy's Advanced Grid Research Group, whose purpose is to accelerate innovation in electric transmission and distribution technologies and create next-generation devices, software, and tools to help modernize the electric grid. This week, my featured guest is Jan Vrins, segment leader of Global Energy, Sustainability, and Infrastructure at GuideHouse. As a partner, he advises industry executives on developing and implementing policies and strategies. He's authored various publications and presents at leading industry conferences on topics like climate action planning, decarbonization, resiliency, grid modernization, the utility of the future, emerging business models, sustainable excellence, and business transformation. Welcome to the Climate Champions. I'm Lee Crevat. I'm here with Jan Vrintz, segment leader at GuideHouse for Global Energy, Sustainability, and Infrastructure. Jan, welcome to the Climate Champions. Thank you, Lee. Uh, happy to uh, be here and uh, looking forward to, uh, to the discussion today. Yeah, excited to have you on the podcast. So when it comes to climate change, and I've heard you talk a lot about it publicly, but what was your motivating moment for when you decided, hey, I've got to focus on this and make a difference? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. I don't think there was like one moment. I, I kind of grew into it, you know, working in the energy industry, you know, we were all confronted with, you know, the energy transition. So done a lot of energy transition work with utilities, as well as other energy companies like oil and gas and thinking about the future of, of energy. And then if you think about the future of energy, automatically uh, you, you think about climate and decarbonization renewables and how as an industry, you know, we get to net zero in, in 2050. So so for me, this has been at least a 10-year journey where we, we helped clients with some of the initial work around renewables, later on, you know, new technologies like battery storage and microgrid, offshore winds. Now we're talking about solutions like green hydrogen. So it's been a journey, but there have been moments where, you know, I think the need to address this have significantly increased. I, I live in, you know, South Florida, Miami, and we've had our fair share of, of hurricanes through the years. And every time I, I see the, the devastation of these impacts, and, and this year we've had some really bad ones in, in Texas and Louisiana, we have the wildfires in the West. So all of that, I think, adds to, I think, the, the urgency that we have to address it. And, and we have to address this globally. This is not a U.S. problem. This is not a Florida problem. This is not a California problem. This is a global problem. And we need we need all of the solutions and we need all the stakeholders helping and, and, and address this. Do you have any personal drivers that push you toward doing more with regards to climate change mitigation? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Obviously, I'm Dutch, as you can tell by my name and, and hear by my accent. So growing up in the Netherlands, you know, you learn very quickly about the power of nature and, and the sea, right? We've been building dikes for, for many centuries, protecting ourselves against the ocean and then after working in the Netherlands, I did some work in the Caribbean. And then you get exposed to weather as well in terms of, you know, hurricanes coming through the Caribbean, devastating hurricanes. We see them every year. And then in Brazil, where I worked for KPMG as well in the energy sector, in Brazil, you, you start thinking about all these, you know, rich resources. But then the flip side is, of that is, is, you know, deforestation and the impact on 
the forest in Brazil at the same time. And then, yeah, moving to Miami 15 years ago, we deal with these events every every year and sea rising, right? So you look at some of the houses here and some of the zones here, the flood zones, maybe 20, 30, 40 years from now, those will be under, underwater. We, we already have these spring floods, if you will, where parts of Miami Beach and, and even some other neighborhoods are, are just underwater without any storm. They're, they're just underwater and, and, and we're dealing with that as a city and as a state. You are often trying to sell people your services. So when you are selling services and you meet people that don't believe that, they don't believe the data, they don't believe that climate is changing, how do you work to convince them otherwise? Yeah, this, this has been a challenge throughout the years, but I think it's actually getting easier. It, it depends a little bit on the audience, right? You, you can take a scientific approach in terms of we see higher temperatures globally, we see uh, more impact of storm events and, and, and things like that. We're on a path to a three-degree scenario, while it should be one and a half degrees, which is you know pretty significant. Sometimes I take the very pragmatic approach, and, and then I refer to you know events like you know in the U.S. NOAA does a really nice job by tracking what they call these billion-dollar weather events. So these are weather events could be a hurricane, could be a wildfire, could be a winter storm that have more than a billion dollar of damage. And what's very interesting, they've been, they've been tracking this since 1980. If you look at the average number of events uh, that we have in the U.S. since they started tracking it, it's about seven at this moment. But then if you look at the last five years, that number is actually 15. So we see almost double number of these big weather events. They're becoming bigger, they're becoming larger, and also the damage and the impact on the economy is, is much bigger. The last big hurricane here in Florida there was no, nowhere to go. It covered all of Florida. Uh, the eye was in, in Naples, but I live on the other side, on the East Coast, and we had six to eight feet of water in our neighborhood. And then yesterday, I was part of a, an EDS session, and Paula Gold-Williams was talking about, you know, some of the, the recent events that they had there as well. In the past, you know, in Texas, that w- would have been an event, but then it would not cover all of Texas. So, you know, they would then share resources and, and not deal with some of the impacts and the outages that we've seen, you know, this year. But some of the, the recent events, including the winter storm, it covered all of Texas. And that was one of the problems as well of this big winter storm that had so, so much impact. So these events will happen more frequent and they will be bigger in nature, which then means that we not only need to prepare and adapt, but we also need to think more regional because the solution is thinking more regional about a system that is integrated and can really deal with these events from a resiliency perspective. So what do you and what does Guidehouse do to help mitigate climate change? Yeah, we, we do a lot, Lee. You know, I can talk all day long about, you know, what we do, but, but I'll, give, I'll give a couple of examples. I think what makes my team unique is that we work for all the different stakeholders. We, we do work for the government and, and we do work with the federal government. And, and for several decades, we've helped DOE develop policies and standards for appliances, right, in, in our homes, in our hotels, in our factories that are more efficient. We are kicking off a project now for GSA, where we are looking at fleet electrification strategy and plan for the federal government. So the federal government has one of the biggest fleets, and we're, we're kicking off a strategy and a planning project for them as well. Then obviously we work for utilities, but we've done a lot of work around, you know, energy efficiency programs, demand response programs. And it's very interesting now because that, that set of programs is really expanding into, you know, EV programs uh, or more creative pricing programs. So there's a lot of really interesting work we do with utilities around customer programs, 
We've done a lot of work with the utilities in Europe around uh, the role of gas and the transition from natural gas to renewable gas. So we have had this consortium for four or five years, uh, which is called Gas for Climate, because we believe strongly that we cannot have a resilient and affordable energy system without some form of renewable gas. We have to have a a clean fuel in the system. We're not going to get there just with renewables and battery storage. We're just not going to get through the very cold winter weeks in in the Netherlands or in the Northeast for that matter. Uh, It's just not going to be enough. And then last but not least, we do actually work for clients of utilities, their customers. We work for large corporations around climate change, science-based targets, sustainability journeys. And a couple of interesting things there, we have this partnership with McCormick, uh, Mars and PepsiCo to really look at scope two and three, carbon emission reductions in a supplier leadership collaborative. And then we work with the financial sector and, and there's this platform, it's called PCAF, Partnership for Carbon Accounting for Financials. And we have over 150 financial institutions participating in this initiative, which really focus on developing standards and developing reporting governance for financial institutions, for all the investments and companies that they own, which is a huge accelerator of how we address decarbonization, how we measure decarbonization, how we report on decarbonization across all the industries. Has the pandemic changed what you do or what GuideHouse does at all? I don't think it has changed it immediately. We've been extremely busy throughout the pandemic. I think what it has done is actually created more awareness for climate change and the urgency to address it because the pandemic was really impactful and horrible and and a lot of people die during the pandemic and a lot of economic impact and and damage. It's it's undescribable, but climate change could be even bigger uh, in terms of impact. And, And you're talking about, yes, you're talking about death, you're talking about people that will get sick, you talk about parts of countries that will be swiped out completely uh, through some of these these events and long term you know our ability to retain our resources that we you know so much need to provide food and clean water to to our people so the climate crisis by itself can have a much bigger impact globally and longer term and it's time that we really step up and address i mean so this week is climate week and in uh, in 6 weeks we have uh, the cop in in scotland i see a lot of really great announcements, uh, what companies are doing in light of these two events. And, 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 and I'm excited about, you know, how government and organizations are stepping up. Do you want to talk about your prior background prior to GuideHouse and what you're doing today? Yeah. So, so Lee, I started my career in consulting coming straight out of college. Uh, I actually did a, an internship at uh, KPMG Consulting at that time in, in the Netherlands. And after my internship, they made me an offer to join as a, as a junior consultant, which I did. And in the beginning of my career, I was really focused on technologies and also how organizations can implement technologies successfully and, and how it drives transformation. So really the focus on process transformation, you know, organizational change and people. So that was really, really exciting. Spent four or five years in the Netherlands and then KPMG asked me if I um, wanted to help build out a consulting uh, practice for them in the Caribbean. That's how I ended up in the, in the Caribbean living in Curacao and working across the Caribbean. That's where I met my wife. The short version of that is that I never made it back to the Netherlands, which my mom still uh, doesn't like. But since then, I've been working in the Caribbean, later on in in Latin America, South America. Uh, I mentioned Brazil, where I spent four or five years working with some of the largest utilities in Brazil, large-scale technology transformation projects, and whether it was ERP or work management, 
or customer information systems, really changing organizations and processes and people. And then I moved to the US for KPMG Consulting at that time and um, have been here for the last 15 years. Worked for Accenture for a while, really leading their management consulting business in, in North America. And then I found out about Navigant. And that, what I liked about Navigant is they were really well prepared for the energy transition. They had a lot of depth in terms of industry knowledge and operational knowledge, as well as technology understanding. I think Navigant always has been at the forefront of the energy transformation from a consulting perspective. Through our research, we've developed this concept like the energy cloud, which is kind of the, the future of the energy sector. We developed that seven years ago. And every time you know I talk about that, I feel that we were like five years ahead of, of the industry, which is really exciting, but it's, it's also challenging at the same time because timing is so important. Things will move at different pace in different regions, in different countries, in different states. But the end state of where this industry is going is actually very, very clear. And then we were acquired by Guidehouse about two years ago. What we bring together with Guidehouse now is a very strong government footprint because Guidehouse was PwC's government consulting business. So they work for federal government, state and local government. Combining that with you know the industry, commercial industry expertise of Navigant, we think we found a unique platform. The, the issues that we are working on and the problems that we're trying to solve for our clients are very complex. It needs both a commercial as well as a government angle to solve some of these issues. And, and we can straddle between the two. That's how we're going to solve climate change. That's how we're going to solve you know, other complex problems like healthcare or you know, cybersecurity. We do that by working really closely together and integrated between our government business and our commercial business, if you will. One of the topics that's often debated on my podcast is whether this is a government and commercial problem that's going to be solved by government and businesses, or whether this is something that we need people, regular people, to get engaged with to make a difference. Do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, I, th I think, you know, typical consulting answer, you know, we need all of the above. But to be very specific, I've always said that the, the biggest driver of the energy transformation and solving climate change is ultimately going to be the people because you know customers of utilities or citizens in countries or states or cities they will be very clear about their needs and in order to address those needs governments and organizations and companies uh, will need to make you know changes to the products and services that they offer to the way they're organized as well as their ability to provide different products and services that are cleaner but actually are also uh, more efficient and could be cheaper. Again, the triple bottom line uh, is something we see more and more. And who doesn't want a greener product or service for a lower cost? It's those type of programs and projects and opportunities that I really get excited about. Can you talk about some setbacks that you've had in your career? Being 30 years in this business and working in, in different countries, I have had my fair share of challenges. When I started early on in, in, in the Netherlands, working on these complex projects, I didn't have any experience. So how do you build credibility as a consultant if you only have one or two years of experience? So that, that's a challenge. And then when I, when I moved to Brazil and you pick up your family and you move to Brazil, you end up in a country where, you know, initially you don't speak the language. And the Dutch are pretty good in languages, so we pick up pretty quickly on those languages, but it takes time. It's really hard to communicate and have meetings uh, and workshops uh, in a language that, that you don't speak. And then the, the other thing is, uh, this is a people's business. We have a lot of talented people at Guidehouse and in my team. Uh, we've grown throughout the years. Then it's also sad to see people go. So that's, that's another thing that I get sad about. 
But then at the same time, I'm excited because those people that leave us, they go to other places and drive you know, our mission and our purpose forward to drive the energy transformation to address climate change. So a little bit of a mixed bag there, but definitely uh, right now uh, we see a lot of interest for you know, resources that, that we have built up over the year, people that we've built up over the year that are very experienced around climate change and the energy transition. Can you talk about the successes that you're most proud of? I'm most proud of the team that we've built up throughout the years. It was the, the legacy Navigant team, but then we also uh, added a team that came from a company called Ecofish in Europe that brought really deep climate and sustainability expertise. And we were able to uh, leverage all the good work that they, they've done in Europe and, and bring that to uh, other regions like North America, in our case. The combination with Guidehouse brought much stronger, as I said, public sector and government expertise, large programs, change management. How do you implement technologies and, and, and processes to support some of these uh, programs? And whether it's you know fleet electrification or hopefully when the infrastructure bill gets approved, some really large programs around resiliency improvement of the grid. So really proud of the team that we've built and, and the pieces that we combined. Because this is, this is again, this is not easy. Um, uh, you need a lot of different skill sets. It's not like, oh, you need only finance people or you need climate people or you need you know, people that understand you know, utilities operations or engineers. Uh, you need people that understand programs and program management and change management. Our ability to put all those capabilities together uh, within one team, it's a global team, well over 600 people and growing. I think that's the thing that we've done really well and I'm very proud of. When you look at the future of the world in regards to climate change, what is your vision for it? And do you think we're going to make it? Yes, I think we will make it. I'm a, not only a born optimist, but I, I'm very positive about the path that we have in, in front of us. Uh, I actually think that um, a lot of the solutions and technologies exist. Uh, I think we see more and more will to make you know, those changes and to embark on these decarbonization journeys. And now it's a matter of creating skill. We need to create more skill around renewables. We need to create more skill around battery storage. We need to create more skills around electrification of transportation, electrification of buildings, uh, so on and so forth. So it's really now about, about creating skill. Financing is there. The funds are there, both public as well as private funding uh, is there. So I'm very, very uh, optimistic about uh, the future. How the future will look like? It's going to be a world where we are very smart and efficient about uh, you know, using the scarce resources that we have. Circularity, so reusing things, will be a very important concept in everything we do. So reducing waste and increased reuse of, of resources, which includes you know, land and water and, and, and things like that. All of this goes hand in hand with a higher level of adaptability. It will be a world where we can adapt faster. And it will be a world that is sustainable for you know, not only our kids, but also you know, their kids and their kids, uh, because this, this will be multi-generational. And I really believe that now being in 2021, the next 30 years are going to be extremely uh, important, but we will make uh, those targets. Every day, I, I get encouraged by companies that are increasing their targets from a decarbonization climate perspective or are hitting those targets earlier than you know, initially planned. And that has all to do with more understanding of how to solve it, how to address it, the solutions, uh, as well as the skill uh, and, and the cost tied to it. Triple bottom line, uh, we can do things greener, uh, we can do things uh, more efficient and drive more value for customers. 
than shareholders uh, at the same time. Has the pandemic changed that outlook of the future or is that a pre-pandemic outlook you just talked about? I think it's a pre-pandemic outlook. I think what the, what the pandemic uh, has done and will, will do in the next couple of years is it will accelerate the timeline. So the horizons where people thought that a utility would never be able to be carbon neutral, we see plenty of utilities now going to net zero. And whether that's 2050 or 2030, uh, like SMUD, for example, it's very encouraging the speed by which some of these targets are being, uh, being set right now. And why do you think the pandemic has influenced that? Because I think people have a, a better understanding of what I used to call uh, gray rhinos. And, and, and gray rhinos are things that you don't see every day, uh, but they exist. Uh, these are not black swan events. These are gray rhino events. We know that there will be more pandemics. We also know that there will be bigger and more frequent weather events. We also know that uh, rising sea levels will occur. So we know it, but we don't get exposed to it every day. I think what the pandemic has done for many of us, for people around the world, is that these things are real. It has a huge impact on, on my day-to-day life. And, and I think that will create that sense of urgency will be the same for, for climate. So I think that that's why, in a weird way, uh, in a really weird way, uh, the pandemic will help accelerate some of the urgency that we need to address with regard to climate. Yeah, I think the world figured out big bad things really can and happen. And the fact that we were somewhat prepared with vaccines, and if we weren't, we'd be in even worse shape, makes us realize we just have to get prepared for these things. Absolutely. You know, as with the pandemic, where we have solutions like, you know, wearing masks or or vaccination, there are solutions to address climate change. And, And if we if we know of them and, and we are aware of them uh, and we all you know uh, partake in it, then we can address it. Do you have any advice for people about what they can do to help? Yeah, it starts really small at the individual level. It's teaching you know our children about climate change and, and the environment and, and what, what they can do now. Thank God a lot of the schools talk about that as well. It's small things, putting the thermostat down when, when you know you can, turning the lights off, reducing waste. It starts with, with things like that, using less energy, reusing of, of resources. So that's one. And then I think you know, that translates into what we expect from you know, our governments and the companies that we buy things from. A great example, you, know, you have these cereal boxes, right? And these cereal boxes in the past used to be really big because they wanted visibility in the supermarket. And when you open up the box, you know, there's a plastic bag in there and, and that bag is not even half full, right? Maybe, maybe one third full. So it's this huge package that has, you know, that's only one third full. And we're seeing now that these manufacturers actually driven by, you know, their customers are reducing the size of these boxes. They save a lot of packaging material, but they also save on logistics, right? If you transport, you know, uh, these boxes, uh, you, you would use space in, this, in the supermarket. So, so all of that are huge savings from an energy perspective, but also from a cost perspective. So, so you can produce a, a better product that reduces cost and that saves energy. I mean, that's, everybody wins with that. So, so I think customers and citizens have a, a really important role to play in basically telling governments and large corporations and organizations what they expect them to do from a climate and sustainability perspective. Maybe one of the benefits of social media is the ability for people to gather and communicate and talk about those issues. Yeah, I think the power of, of a crowd and talking about this and sharing examples of how we, you know, individually and collectively can do things better 
I think it's very powerful. I think you're absolutely right. Do you have any questions for me? Yeah. So, so Lee, you, you've done over 100 of these uh, podcasts now. What was one or two uh, of, of your most remarkable discussions or, or, or comments uh, that were made? I, I know it's really hard, so I'm putting you a little bit on the spot here uh, because you had so many great participants and speakers on, on these. But what were like, you know, one or two really remarkable discussions where you're like, oh, I've never really thought about that. They were actually, I think, back to back. One was with Dr. Enric Sala, and he talks about pristine seas. And I didn't really know a lot about the oceans. And he made me cry during the podcast. I mean, he really touched me. And the energy issues I kind of know about, but I didn't understand the impact to the oceans at the level he was talking about. It really touched me. And then right after that, I interviewed a professor at Carnegie Mellon, which is my alma mater. And the way he talked about how important it is to him and his wife and the changes he's made in his life, it also touched me and I cried again. So it was like a double whammy of just people and how important this is and how it affects them and their advice. It just really touched me. I guess that's, those are my favorite moments because of that. Yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, if you, if you look at the science and if you look at, you know, again, what's happening with air temperatures and, and water temperatures and sea levels and, you know, the ozone layer and ice melting, um, et cetera, you, you, can, you can become, you know, really sad and depressed. But then again, the flip side is there's so many good solutions out there that will help us, you know, reduce carbon. And, and you know, we, we haven't even spoken about things like carbon capture out of direct air and things like that. We talked a little bit on green hydrogen. So that keeps me going. There, there are technologies out there. And I think as humanity, we've always had the resiliency to come up with solutions to solve you know, big problems. And that's why I'm optimistic. I, I think we'll, we'll do it again. Um, we have 30 years, which doesn't seem like a lot, but you can get a lot done in, in 30 years when there is will to make changes, both political, government, organizations, people, uh, uh, to your point. Uh, as well as pathways uh, with clear solutions and technologies. I think, I think we can get a lot done in 30 years. From that perspective, I'm, I'm optimistic, but also I'm realistic about the impacts. If we don't address it, it will be bad for all of us in the world. I think it's going to be bad regardless because we've already done a lot of damage, but I am also optimistic that that will fuel us to taking significant action and that we can overcome it. Yeah, yeah. Good point. And on that cheerful note, I'm going to wrap this up with a wrap. Climate change is a crisis that affects every nation. We have to work together for grid decarbonization. In Miami, you see crazy weather so much, but you know about leveraging nature like dikes because you're Dutch. At times, our conversation took some scary tones, like when you talked about spring floods in some Miami zones. Weather events are causing displacement. People are living in tents. You live on the other side of Florida from Naples, but you experience those events. And those events are gaining in frequency and weight instead of just one region in Texas, it impacts the entire state. Because of the need for heating in places, if this test were going to pass, there's going to be a need for renewable gas. Across the world, these events have bigger breath. The pandemic taught us that gray rhinos exist and can bring death. KPMG, it's where you started your consulting life. It took you to the Caribbean where you met your wife. One thing that's a setback is when people on your team go, 
but that is how your mission and your people grow. You brought in talent from Ecofish. Their climate and eco position was extreme, and that move expanded and made you even prouder of your team. The finance, the will, the technology all exist. You believe that will make it because you were born optimist. When you explain it to adults, they may hear it as preaching, but children understand, listen, and learn from teaching. I'm glad you came on Climate Champions, especially since I loved what you said. You did convince. Nothing that you said made me wince with words you certainly did not mince. Thank you very much, Jan Vrince. Awesome. That was awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> that, was, that was a good summary. It, I, it's awesome. I love it. <laughs> It was refreshing to hear Jan discuss all the reasons he's positive about the future, having the financing, the technology, and the will. Thinking more about it, I am starting to see the will take shape in the U.S., but let's see what happens with the infrastructure and other climate change legislation. I continue to believe that we need a larger majority of the country on board. We can't take two steps backwards every time the administration changes. This is everyone's problem. If you have comments or questions about the podcast, please visit my website at crevatenergyinnovations.com and drop me an email. I would love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the Climate Champions podcast series, please subscribe, rate it five stars if you're an Apple user, and tell your climate-concerned friends about it. Jan is most proud of the great team he's put together at GuideHouse. Individually, there's a lot we can do, but the power of teamwork to overcome the most complex projects is critical especially to mitigate climate change.